Hello and welcome to MASH Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, MASH. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Ethan, okay, so we don't have an opening topic, so why don't we just get right into this episode? Not much relatable that we can discuss about this one. (laughs) No, definitely not. So let's just get into it. In this episode, Rainbow Bridge, when the enemy sends word that they are surrendering captured, wounded American soldiers to the 4077, our boys have to go retrieve them from across enemy lines. The main question is, is this a trap? And more importantly, how will Frank muck it up this time? So, Ethan, what did you think about this episode? This episode was great. Um, I was thinking watching this episode that this would be a much better finale to season two than the actual finale of season two. It's kind of weird that this is season three episode two because that's just Mm -hmm. kind of like a random placement you know yeah but in terms of like actual conflict and like being a a well-produced episode of mash that's like a good representation of the show would have been a great season finale for the previous season yeah i for sure agree it gives like very season finale energy um just because of there were like really high stakes in this episode um really intense moments it was beautifully shot i really loved that oh yeah we'll get into that but there were so many scenes that i really just loved in this episode and of course like you know commentary wise it was chock full of it so yeah so i had a really good time with this episode Yeah, this was, I think, the first episode where they leave the camp for an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. Other than, like, Tokyo retreats and whatnot, but this is kind of the first time they're explicitly outside in another country, so it wasn't just, like, another set, you know? Yeah, we actually, like, see them leaving the camp, which is very interesting. It was very exciting. It was like, oh, this is a a different (laughs) energy. Yeah, for sure. This one, I think... Felt like it should have been a two-parter. Did you get that vibe from it? It kind of, for me, the way it was set up for the first, like, two acts, if it, like, split off into a part two right before when they get to the Rainbow Bridge, that would have been, like, a really good kind of ending for the episode. But I do like how they concluded this one in one episode. Yeah, I didn't really get that. Um, I definitely understand what you're what you mean. I didn't feel that way. I mean, it definitely could have been split into two parts if the writers had kind of wanted to drag it out a little bit more for the drama of it. But yeah, no, in the actual episode, I felt like the flow and the pacing was very good and that it didn't wrap up too quickly as I feel like it has in past episodes. So While I Mm -hmm. don't necessarily agree, I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not calling this episode poorly paced. Just how much kind of emphasis was given to the setup for the retrieval. It kind of felt like leaving the camp could have been the end of part one. Mm -hmm. And then part two is entirely like the journey into China and then them trying to negotiate it. But... The show isn't a drama. Like, you yeah. know, you, you would save that for, like, an actual, like, drama thing. So for, like, comedy show, it's entirely understandable why they would only do season three, episode two as a singular episode and not have it be a 40-minute piece of of dramatic television. Yeah, for sure. I think that, like, as you were saying that, I feel like I remember um, an episode later on in the show <laughs> that kind of, like, almost does that. I don't know. It was a... We'll, we'll get to it. You'll know. I'll, I'll, we'll circle back around to it when we get to about, like, season four or five. So <laughs> I won't spoil us right now, but I know, I know what you're saying. Okay, okay. <laughs> 
So let's um let's get into this episode. I have to just note right off the bat, this friggin' guy with the guitar. I hate him so much. You I hate can't him? Stand this guy because I knew that this character was coming soon. And I was like, when is this gonna happen? When is this gonna happen? Season three is where it happens. I can't stand the sound of his voice. I can't stand his stupid guitar. I can't stand his songs. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Everything about it. I am taken aback. I really <laughs> liked uh, Guitar Man over here. I was hoping nope. you would enlighten me with some trivia about Guitar Man. I thought <laughs> it was like an interesting kind of uh, framing device for the episode that it starts with him singing a song about Tokyo and then we kind of revisit him several times throughout the episode at kind of each act. I thought it was like a nice kind of change of pace for the show and has like a different... It signaled a different feel for the episode. I'm surprised that you're like, no, Guitar Man is the worst man. So I guess he shows up multiple times. It's not just a one-off kind of gag. So there's a couple of episodes in this season where he shows up. Um, Can't stand him every single time because he just sounds like a hippy-dippy nonsense with his guitar. And it's like nothing, honestly, against this actor. I just like don't like the sound of his voice and his singing. And I'm just like, please get off the screen wow okay i don't even know where to go from here with that with that <laughs> energy i'm just saying i like sushi and sashimi the song that he sang i thought it was fun uh gave a nice like different kind of protest vibe to the episode man anti-war it's all thematic man you know how you know how i was saying uh how people hate colonel flag I hate this guy. Like, this is my Colonel Flag. I truly can't stand him. But anyway, I know wow. what you're saying. I get what you <laughs> I get what you mean. Wow. This might be our first true disagreement for this show. <laughs> no, I can appreciate what you're saying of like the framing of because it's true. Like in the 60s, there was a lot of like protest music. I just like, I don't know if something about the song and the voice and the guitar. I'm just like, please stop. So to move away from my hatred of this man with the guitar, Who I did thought it nothing was... wrong. <laughs> um, we get into the swamp and immediately see Klinger doing Hawkeye's nails, which I thought was beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I thought that was such a great moment. Oh, I love their little conversation they have about him doing the nails. And he's like, oh, I'm not just another pretty face, you know. <laughs> Mash mouth drinking game. We love Klinger and we love his <laughs> whole thing about him. He really has prospects after the war of like he being does. a women's health and beauty professional after the war and i think that that's really cool because honestly clear can do a lot more than i can do with my physical appearance <laughs> he pulls off all his weird dresses we have a lot to talk about clear actually with uh his appearance later on in this episode yeah. but yeah so obviously they're packing for tokyo and just the way the uh the show is set up so far the second they're packing for tokyo and it's the beginning of an episode you're like okay these guys aren't going to Tokyo. What's going on here? <laughs> they should know by now that they, they never actually get to go to Tokyo these days. No, they definitely always have their R&R completely derailed. But can I just say real fast, did you notice that Hawkeye and Klinger were talking about like paying for sex in the beginning of this episode in their conversation? I thought that was so bold. Kind of. I took it more as a a massage like a legitimate kind of like manicure spa massage not necessarily like 
paying for sex because I, you know, they couldn't really do that in this era. But here's the thing: it, it was kind of loose and open for interpretation. I don't know about that because he was talking about like, oh, thirty dollars for an entire night with a Japanese girl. I'm like, <laughs> that massage is definitely having a happy ending in that case because, like, <laughs> truly, I was shocked because. I was like, I cannot believe that the network like let that slide because to me it was pretty obvious that they were talking about like paying for sex. And I was like, geez. Well, later in the episode, it's heavily implied that Henry wants like hentai from a bookshop. So uh, that is. <laughs> I forgot about uh, that. <laughs> that's a bold move from Mr. Henry right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was a lot. That was this episode was like sex heavy in a very subtle way, which was kind of yeah. weird. <laughs> but yeah, so going from from that, um <laughs> Hawkeye and Trapper are packing, but then they hear from Henry after he asks him for for implied hentai. Um <laughs> Radar comes in and has Henry sign for a bunch of plasma that's coming into the camp. And immediately, without even having wounded come, they're like, oh, Plasma's here? That means that we're uh, we're on the clock. And they kind of immediately dispack. And I thought that was kind of great because, like I said, they can never have their R&R. And the fact that they knew that as well, even though it technically hadn't started yet, was kind of really fun to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that because, like, I don't remember the last time they really actually were able to take R&R, except in, like, season Mm -hmm. one, which is so funny. And then we have surgery. And the surgery is interesting because Frank is in charge of triage in this one. And I loved the scene on the triage bus when when. Hawkeye is like screaming at Frank for mismanaging it and giving them people who are low priority because of their nationality and association with the the war. First of all, this was really well shot, like you were saying, how the, the camera kind of goes from outside the bus to inside the bus. Um, and then this whole scene was just really like well acted for the tiny little bit that it was. What do you think mm-hmm. of this bit? Yeah, this was a great scene. Like you said, one of the ones that I noted that was beautifully shot at first, I thought it was very like classic Hawkeye and Frank with Hawkeye just kind of putting the patients first and seeing beyond what side they're on, of course. And Frank literally willing to let somebody bleed out and die because it's not army policy to send in uh, Korean soldiers first. Typical Frank, right? And uh, at first I was like, okay, this is like a throwaway scene of Hawkeye being the hero. Frank being the antagonist as as per usual. And it kind of loops back around in the end to be way more meaningful than that. And I, I really appreciated the scene kind of after the episode was over more than actually watching it during the episode. I understand that. I like the scene as it was going on. I was just like, ooh, this is interesting. We're on a bus. We have a low angle. We had a zoom. <laughs> I, I had to like sit up and pay attention at this point. I fully kind of knew this was a different kind of episode. I should also mention that I did watch this episode twice, once on Hulu and once on DVD without the laugh track. And I think I'm just going to watch it on DVD from now on because I I do want to watch the intended viewing experience. And as we've discussed before, on Hulu, it's like widescreen and they did not plan for that. 
But I gotta say, without the laugh track this episode, it wasn't as much as a difference as when I watched, I believe, Dr. Pierce and Mr. Hyde, um, where that episode took on a completely different tone. This was, you could tell that they were waiting for laughter, even though they weren't filming with the live uh, audience. They had those mm-hmm. like pauses in there. It wasn't like it was transformed into a drama. It was still a sitcom, but they didn't have the laugh in it, at least for the beginning parts where it was kind of more standard mash kind of sitcom. Yeah, that's super interesting because speaking of the comedy, I thought that the comedy in this episode was also great, which is kind of crazy because it was such a such an intense episode at the end with like heavier topics throughout the episode. So to have it be so funny with the one-liners was also great of course it's like what mash does the best right so that's Mm -hmm. interesting that you felt like there was those pauses in there for laughter when i feel like i don't know i feel like a lot of the times what i love about mash and i've said it before is that they they don't necessarily pause for Mm -hmm. laughter it's just like kind of in the writing in the normal speech pattern of these characters to not try to get these big laughs it wasn't dramatic. Like, we, we talked about a long time ago that, like, Big Bang Theory, they will, like, have five seconds of pauses if you remove the laugh track. It wasn't, like, that bad. But it was kind of, you know, Hawkeye would make a quip, and then you could kind of tell that, like, that's where the laugh track would be edited mm-hmm. into. It was not, like, anything that ruined the pace or flow of the episode. Just in comparison to other episodes where it does chained the show lacking the laugh track didn't necessarily make this episode feel too different and that's one thing that i like about the comedy of this one as well because it had all your your good lines and everything but in this episode i kind of really appreciated the fact that it felt more like the characters making jokes about a situation to kind of relieve the tension rather than it being like a comedy show it felt very like genuine that these people would make jokes in this situation. No, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, just by nature of kind of knowing these characters so well, I feel, it did feel like, oh, okay, that's, of course they would be making jokes to kind of diffuse the tension and being goofballs about it, even though this is pretty serious. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. so I thought that the comedy was really well placed in this episode. So to move on from that, we kind of, after this scene with Frank and Hawkeye in the bus, we go to the scene in the mess tent where we kind of get the main plot of the episode where Henry got a message saying that these Chinese soldiers are willing to, or Chinese doctors, I guess, are willing to give the 4077 these captured wounded American soldiers because they don't have the resources to really care for them and they're going to die otherwise. And in this scene, it kind of culminates into this discussion between Hawkeye and Trapper and Frank and Margaret saying, hey, listen, we have to go and get these American soldiers. Like, this is really important. And Frank and Margaret kind of having pretty valid concerns that, hey, what if this is a trap? Like, these are these are the enemies. We're going over enemy lines into North Korea, close to China. So it's like pretty far in there. And this could absolutely be a trap. And of course, we have Henry, who is just like, I don't know what to do, guys. What should we do? And I just, that part of it also was so great to me of Henry just being like, whatever you guys think, I can't make a decision. Yeah, Henry's whole bit about him saying like, 
oh, this is real leader stuff, stuff that only I could do. So whatever <laughs> you guys decide is fine, uh, is ideal Henry. That is, that is peak Henry right there, as we <laughs> always say. This whole discussion, this whole bit was one of my favorite parts of the episode because mm-hmm. it felt very realistic. We talked about last episode how Larry Gelbart and the writers went to Korea to get these real-life stories of MASH doctors. And this part of the episode kind of felt like something that really happened. Like, this was a story that someone actually had, and they're kind of adapting it to be an episode where it's not overly flashy, but it is interesting having to get these American soldiers back from the Chinese army. Yeah, in my research, I couldn't really find whether this would have been a real instance or not i'm sure it would be probably not with the army <laughs> doctors themselves going over there but it 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 did feel like a very real thing that could have happened like this not maybe not even so much the the wounded but definitely like a prisoner swap of course happened all the time so i think it definitely could have been based on true events i would love to i would love to find an archive somewhere if anyone knows of an archive of all of uh, Larry Gelbart's journals that he kept for MASH. Please send them my way. Yeah. Uh, if anyone has any information about the history of the writing of the show, we would love to know because that's just one of the unfortunate things about talking about this show when it's so old. Uh, like, we can't go on Twitter and tweet at, you know, various people be like, <laughs> was this based on real life? Like, even <laughs> Alan Alda, who has a Twitter account and is pretty active, I'm sure he's not sitting there on his phone typing all this tweets for like himself and some <laughs> guy like managing it oh the woes of of modern tv where yeah. you just reach out to some guy be like hey is this real and then he'll be like no <laughs> yeah for sure so really if anybody knows anything please please loop us in because we want to know too mm-hmm. but i also thought it was a pretty big like yikes moment when i was first watching it of like margaret and Frank kind of being really xenophobic against China um, and Chinese people. But like, of course, like that was wrong and like is not a good thing. But it kind of made more sense in the context as a whole of the episode with um, kind of what happens at the end, which we'll get to. And it was rebuffed, of course, by Hawkeye and Trapper, as it always is. But I was like, wow, I'm really not here for this, this racism here. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> But like we said, they did have valid concerns. It was just like kind of like seeped in xenophobia with the whole like, oh, they're savages. These like primitive people. They don't know how how to do medicine properly and all this kind of stuff. It was not like great, but it also kind of made sense in the context of what they were talking about. One thing that really stood out to me in this, this scene as something that maybe was kind of groundbreaking was that Margaret directly calls out uh, they could be raped like with that language and Hawkeye and Trapper kind of make a joke around it in that way that we were talking earlier with it being jokes to diffuse the tension where it felt very in character rather than comedy TV show, please laugh. Just the fact that she said that was really, really surprising to me. Like I don't even hear that on TV a lot like these days outside of like Law and Order SVU where that's the entire uh, (laughs) bit of the show. Um, it really surprised me in a big way to hear her say that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was pretty surprised as well. And Margaret does say it 
later on in the series too like it's not a word that's really like shied away from necessarily in the rest of the series either but yeah i was really surprised because i mean just thinking of older television like with i love lucy they couldn't even say pregnant on tv Mm -hmm. they couldn't say that lucy was pregnant so to hear margaret say the word rape on tv like prime time television was very kind of shocking to me i don't know if at this point maybe they had been saying it like i'm not too familiar with like 1960s ish tv show but for sure in the 1950s they were not saying it and i guess in the 1970s they were pretty much saying it so yeah i was uh i was really shocked too and it did make me like oh my ears kind of perked up like wow i can't believe that yeah what what is the what is the line between bun in the oven and pregnant? Like what was the in between there, you know? We'll never know. <laughs> or maybe we will if we look into it. I think that we should do a whole deep dive onto like language in TV. Maybe that'll that be a bonus be episode great. that we do. Oh my god, I would actually love to do that. Let's actually do that. But from that, they do decide to go to the agreed meeting point of the Rainbow Bridge to get these soldiers back and obviously uh margaret and frank aren't exactly happy with that but it is the right thing to do Mm -hmm. so after that we get this holistic like preparation scene of basically what everybody's doing to like prep to go over enemy lines and collect these soldiers and we get this scene (laughs) and i think ethan i think you liked this scene with margaret and frank on their own in margaret's tent And Frank is kind of just saying, like, I can't believe Henry's letting them go over there. This is ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. And then Margaret's like, no, actually, Frankie, you should go. After all that shit, you should go. And he's like, but I'm scared. (laughs) And I thought that this was so, so funny because Margaret immediately is like, oh, but there might be a promotion in it for you, Frank. So you should really go. I loved it a lot. This whole bit with her, everything about this scene is hilarious to me. That, like, it really does show that, like, Margaret is the one in charge in their relationship. Um, Just very, (laughs) very funny that two seconds after this is agreed upon and, like, they, you know, gave their whole complaints about, like, oh, we shouldn't do this, it's dangerous. The second they're actually doing it, it's like, all right, Frank, if you don't do this, you're you're a bit of a wimp. You gotta go. You gotta go, man. <laughs> I thought it was, um, and this, of course, is probably me reading a little bit too much into it, but when Frank agrees to go, Margaret gives him a pistol, like a really, like, small, like, baby pistol um, that she said her dad gave her mom on their wedding night. And it was played for laughs, of course, and it was funny. But that, to me, was so much, like, Margaret being basically like the son that her father doesn't have, like she can't really do these things, like go over enemy lines because of like reasons that she explained. And she can't like be the brave person and she can't do these things that will get her like a purple heart and, you know, a promotion and stuff like that. So she wants to be with someone who will like check all those boxes because she can't. And That's not going to be Frank, clearly, because Frank's a wuss. But to me, it makes like so much sense why she's always like pushing Frank to do these things because she can't herself do them. And yeah, so I I liked this scene for that reason. That's a really interesting way to look at the scene, because that is a take that you can only have when you've seen the entire show several times as a viewer. 
who has not seen most of the show and is basically unfamiliar with most of Margaret's character development outside of what you've told me. Uh, I took this more as another like example of her weird daddy issues. Um, <laughs> well, it is like what I described like basically is that I would say, but also like you gave it kind of like a noble, like she wants to be like the good soldier kind of thing. And I took it as mm-hmm. like, she wants Frank to take on the role of her father. Um, yeah, I get that. And, you know, it's open for interpretation. Yeah, uh, but. For sure. I liked how she gave him the gun as well, beyond the the funny kind of psychological implications that we've <laughs> talked about on and off mic of Margaret's character. It is kind of like a genuine act of like real intimacy to give him something that her father gave her mother on their wedding night. Like that's a real kind of genuine emotional uh like <laughs> active like this is a serious relationship kind of thing well, which i that... really appreciated no do you remember when that happened in a previous episode and i was like in my notes i wrote down this is margaret giving away her family heirlooms to frank yet again because do you remember when that happened and yeah. i was like so angry about it because i was like you're giving this to frank who's a married man. <laughs> but that was, if I remember that situation, that was like a not high stakes thing at all. Like that was just That's a total true. like blow off kind of thing of like, girl, what are you doing? But like <laughs> in this in this instance, he is like in danger. So I understood it as something more of like, hey, protect yourself. And less of like, I'm giving this thing to you, even though you're an absolute screw up. Like she, he need. Well, he didn't need a gun because, as per the terms of the agreement, he should not have a gun, and she's the one talking him into having a gun. But still, I felt it was more of a genuinely kind of sweet thing of like, "Hey, you need to protect yourself, even though you technically shouldn't." Yeah. Here you go. Uh, and obviously, she'll get the gun back. It was not like Frank was gonna keep it forever, you know. <laughs> No, yeah, I definitely, I know what you're saying. There was a difference. It was just very like, I was like, oh, well, great. That's that's fantastic. She's giving away her Houlihan family heirlooms to Frank Burns so that he can be an idiot across enemy lines. That great, is- wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but true. your interpretation like is nicer and I prefer to think of it that way, but I'm well, <laughs> I love that. I love that you are like, she wants to be the soldier that her father wants uh, her to be. But also you're like, she's an idiot for giving the gun away. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice in-between kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's nuance. an idiot for just wanting to be with Frank Burns in general. But it's really <laughs> sweet is. that she gave her gun. And we have like the exact opposite interpretation of this one scene. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I also thought it was kind of ridiculous that when Hawkeye and Trapper and Radar and eventually Klinger actually too are all getting ready to come on the bus and of course like Frank comes and he's like uh, yeah I'm going to I'm going to come too I was like Henry's really about to send away every single doctor that he has in the entire camp plus his two like company clerks like what what that was not smart, Henry. What happens if, God the forbid, they character. don't come back? Yeah, but what happens if they don't come back? That would be like that would be like the situation where everybody got the flu, but for like ever, <laughs> where Henry is the only one who's dealing with all the wounded. Then what? Then what, Henry? What then? 
That is so true. I was not thinking about that at all. Because my brain is like, it's a sitcom. This is our cast of characters. They have to go (laughs) on this journey. But you're right. You should send Guitar Guy, who we don't know, (laughs) to go to the enemy lines just in case. Yeah. Like, honestly, what would have happened? Anyway, after this, like we said at the top, we get this scene where everybody's in the bus, which I thought was really cool. Scene owns. I love it. It was really cool. And it was so, like, refreshing to see them actually, like, leaving camp this is why i love mash right they were not constrained from like a soundstage and in this scene specifically like they really like utilize that outdoor space mm-hmm. um so i thought that was like just super cool i really loved that and and a scene coming up which i'll talk about i thought that you can't have that scene if it's not outside if it's not on location so yeah i really i really appreciated the cinematography of this episode yeah, even uh, how they shoot them on the bus, you know, usually in, in shows like this, it's very obviously on a green screen or a blue screen, or they have like a backdrop mm-hmm. of like a fake uh, outdoors. For a couple shots, they legitimately kind of show the camera sitting in the back of the bus and the cast like sitting in the front and driving. And it like maybe fake. I'm sure some parts of it were like stitched together, but the introduction of like the inside of the bus felt just so like genuine of like people riding a bus together and Mm -hmm. that's obviously like a low bar to clear but in shows like this you're you're not expecting that kind of realism so seeing that it's like oh this is super cool and how uh like a minute or so is just dialogue free of like score of them riding the bus it's like Mm -hmm. it has this atmosphere And kind of why I thought this was like a part two kind of episode, like a two-parter, it felt like there was real tension there, you know, not something that they Mm -hmm. could wrap up so quickly. And I like the way they do, but this sets up the idea that like, oh, this is not going to be easy. This is kind of a legitimate journey for them to take. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that really built the tension for like the kind of the final confrontation scene at the Rainbow Bridge where they are getting out of the bus and, you know, they're at this rainbow bridge, which is the meeting point. And this scene where they are out of the bus and Frank, Hawkeye, and Trapper are walking towards the soldiers, the Chinese soldiers, and you get that perspective shot of them walking towards them is so tense and it was Mm -hmm. so intense. And I thought that it was just really, really well done, the whole mm-hmm. this whole exchange, but specifically those shots of them coming towards them and then also the shot right before they make contact where they're like across the bridge. Yes. It's like a wide shot. It's just like it's so, so good. This is another episode directed by High Haberback. Uh, we got to mm-hmm. shout him out. We've praised other episodes that he's directed as like looking really nice and called yeah. him out specifically. He's probably the best director working on the show from what we've seen so far. Like, every episode that he's done uh, that we've, like, noticed his directing is, like, really kind of energized and, like, kind of creative for what he had to do with this material. But yeah, I love that that wide shot. That felt so cinematic for, for a show where I was not, like, expecting it. It's just these little breaks of convention that feel so special with the show because it feels like the first time anyone's ever trying something like this in TV, even though it probably isn't. 
But like, just as someone who mainly watches stuff that's like made in the last 20 years, it's like so cool to see something 50-ish years ago where they're also trying to push the cinematic art form of television (laughs) forward, you know? Yeah, I think MASH like really did break those grounds, like just with being outside and not on a soundstage, like they really had to, they had a lot of work to do to put into that. And mm-hmm. I do think that that was pretty groundbreaking. And I I loved the doctor that they meet with, the Chinese doctor, who I, I'm sorry, I forget his character's name, but I, I loved him. I love how he spoke English and then they explain that as he went to the University of Illinois and that being a legitimate kind of bonding moment between him, Hawkeye, and Trapper, just kind of really actually humanizing this guy in like a genuine way. And obviously we'll talk about uh, the whole kind of speech he gives in a moment, but this with him saying he's from or went to the University of Illinois felt really cool to me. (laughs) What do you think of his characterization? Yeah, I thought that he, this character was just absolutely amazing because, first of all, I thought it was so funny that they explained that he was speaking English so well because he went to the University of Illinois. And I was like, yeah, okay, thank you for actually explaining why this Chinese man is barely speaking with an accent. Like, thank you for that, MASH, because you haven't in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. So... But then on top of that, of course, like you said, this like really humanizing moment of like, oh, well, our commanding officer went to that school. Like, that's so amazing. And this is what I was talking about before, where it's um, Margaret and Frank were basically like calling Chinese people like and Chinese soldiers like savages and primitive and stuff like that. And this scene with this doctor was that like humanizing the enemy kind of moment because they were saying like hey listen like he went to the university of illinois too what goofy wacky character that you love do you remember going to the university of illinois like stuff like that you know what i mean (laughs) no i feel you and then it was so in character for frank to be like the worst person in the room (laughs) like after they'd genuinely have this connection of like oh man it's cool that you went to the university of illinois he just interjects like let's not get too friendly here yeah. uh and it's never commented on in the the way that they you know can but hawkeye and trapper clearly are like dude what are you doing here just let us <laughs> let us enjoy this moment with this man who's like a human being <laughs> yeah for sure and like of course like i said that kind of ties back to just frank being like I hate the enemy. I can't see the humanity in the enemy at all. And I'm this terrible person. But yeah, so after this kind of exchange of about, oh, like Henry went to the University of Illinois. Like, isn't that so funny? The deal is kind of like going through properly. Like, you know, we're gonna, the doctor says, you know, this is what I need you to do. Like, you need to drive the truck over the bridge, this and the other thing. And then I don't exactly remember what happens, but the Chinese soldiers start to move and Frank like freaks out and he like goes for the gun that Margaret gave to him, which is completely against like the rules of this setup that they had. And that's when we get this really just like absolutely amazing scene with this Chinese doctor saying, Like, how could you violate the deals of our agreement like this when your soldiers and your military is flying over my country and they're making it completely impossible for me to treat my people? And it was such an amazing moment. So, like, what did you think about this whole scene in general? This scene was great. Just everything about it really, I don't know if this episode won Emmy, 
but I'm like, you should give this episode an Emmy. This is like a really <laughs> well well written without it feeling overdone. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. preachy. It doesn't feel like they're overstating it. And for this one scene this this man is in, I have to give uh props to uh, this actor who we will discuss in trivia. He's a very well-known man. Uh, I have to give him props that he performs this really well. And I love that when he thinks that uh, Frank has a bigger gun than he does, they're not like gonna kill them. They're just like deals off. We're gonna like leave. And then Hawkeye is like, think about this you were going to do a decent thing in a giant indecency of a war uh just like that line that uh hawkeye has is so that is the mash line like that is that's uh you know how you always bring up that line with henry from uh sometimes you hear the bullet i forget the specifics but like hawkeye saying you're going to do a decent thing within an in giant indecency or something along those lines was like this quintessential mash wine for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like you said, like this was so at like the crux of what mash is. I feel um, I say that a lot, but it, it's true. The circling back to Margaret and Frank being kind of racist towards these people, and then also the callback to Hawkeye and Frank in the bus. Hawkeye is this person who doesn't care about like what your skin color is or like where you came from. If you're wounded, he's going to take care of you. And I thought that it was really amazing for this show to be like, not just humanize the enemy, but be like, oh, this this like thing that Hawkeye does of not necessarily prioritizing American soldiers as Frank does, and then have almost the enemy do the same thing. Like these people who mm-hmm. are, you know, discriminated against and, you know, are seen as these like savage people, quote unquote, to have that be like a thing to have our hero be emulated in this person who is supposed to be like the enemy like the embodiment of the enemy was i feel like we keep saying the word groundbreaking but i feel like it was so almost like risky for the show to do in this time period of like massive unrest and like anti-war sentiment in america and yeah so i just like i really loved this scene i really appreciated this scene so mm-hmm. much and I, it was like the star it was the standout scene of the show obviously yes of course i just want to get uh hawkeye's line right because i have it he says wait a minute look you're doing something decent in the middle of a giant indecency don't endanger nine men because some idiot's trying to do his general custard impression uh <laughs> that is that is the most hawkeye thing i think he said on the it show is. And I love that uh, regardless of where you come from, everyone can always agree that Frank Burns is an idiot because he pulls out that gun (laughs) and the enemy soldiers all like start laughing because they're like, what do you think you're going to do with that, dude? (laughs) That was a great resolution to this conflict and making it funny again. Just because we as the audience know that this gun is tiny. But in that moment, you're not thinking about like, well, it's a comically small gun. So obviously they're not going to care. Like you're thinking Frank Burns really screwed it up for them. And he shows the (laughs) gun 
and that like they're legitimately like what the hell is that like that's what he says <laughs> and it's so funny because it you, you really do kind of realize like oh that is small like that that probably won't do a whole lot you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely so then i thought it was also really interesting so uh, eventually um this doctor he says like okay like you're right frank's an idiot um this gun's not going to do anything let's let's get these soldiers back to you guys and originally they were gonna like drive over the bridge and get them but if you see it's like a wide shot again of both sides coming and helping transport these wounded american soldiers onto the bus and i thought that was like that was a really cool scene i really really liked that it was a perfect like Mm -hmm. ending for this scene of just like again these people are human beings too and not just american people are like good people remember that that there's human beings on both sides of this conflict and i really i just loved it i don't think it could have been better yeah no it this all around really great and i have to mention that i love the the final scene of this episode as well with radar in the tent with hawkeye and trapper and he's talking in a kind of different tone than Radar yeah. tends to talk in. This is more, you could tell this is more like actually Gary Berghoff like speaking, yeah, uh, which agree. was cool. It felt like more mature and felt like more of like he was on their level because he was so excited that they did this. Uh, he was like, oh my God, it's so cool that you guys, I like, I can't imagine ever feeling like that way and being like, blah, blah, blah. And just the way he was talking was so like, oh, I want like more of this radar, like this genuine excited radar who's like thinking about his future of like, I want to be a doctor, but I don't like sick people. So that's kind of like his kind of like manic speaking of of shooting from every other topic, like 50 miles a second, and then revealing that Hawkeye and Trapper are asleep in their beds was very cute. And once again, they don't get their r and r yeah, I really like this scene also because in radar's monologue, he's basically like saying like man, I can't be- I cannot believe you guys pulled that off like you did all of this time and then thirty two hours of surgery on top of that, then you went to the bridge and now you're gonna go to Tokyo like you guys are amazing, you guys are amazing, and I really felt like that just kind of put into words what Mash does and did of spotlighting that the doctors in this war and really any war are the unsung heroes of the war. And I really, I just like, I loved it. I thought that it was such a perfect sign off for this episode as well, because that's where the episode ends. And when Radar says, you know, like, what does he say? He's like, good night, superheroes or whatever. (laughs) It's just like, it's really sweet and just like such a great moment. Like I said in the beginning of this episode, this should have been the season two finale. Like, this is such a perfect, yeah. like, bookend for, like, what the show's trying to do. I'm surprised that they, they didn't even make this, like, episode one of season three. They were mm-hmm. like, episode two. Let's start out with uh, a guy being wacky, and then we'll hit him <laughs> with uh, some some real hard-hitting stuff. And let me tell you, after this episode, I am so excited to watch more of the show now. (laughs) I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So I do have some trivia for us in this episode. Makoto Iwamatsu, I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, played Dr. Lin Tam. And he is a Japanese-American actor known professionally as Mako, which he was credited for in this episode. So 
Mako was born in Kobe, Japan. His parents were political dissidents and moved to the east coast of the United States, so they were not subjected to the Japanese internment of the west coast during World War II, and they actually worked for the U.S. government's Office of War Information. So, super cool. Mako later joined the U.S. Army and served in Korea and Japan in the Special Services Division, where he put on plays and skits as entertainment for his fellow soldiers. So I was like, wow, he was like a born actor. That's so cool. After his service, he trained as an actor at the Pasadena Community Playhouse and was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the 1966 film The Sand Pebbles, which, amazing. And that was really early on in his career, so that's really cool. I'm just waiting for you to say the big thing about Mako so I could start, like, actually gushing. Because I love Mako. He rules. We'll get to it. Don't worry. His other roles in film include The Hawaiians, The Killer Elite, Pearl Harbor, and Cages. This man also had an amazing theater career. So in 1965, Mako and six other Asian American actors formed the East West Play Theater Company out of frustration for the limited roles for Asian American actors at the time. He was the artistic director of the company until 1989, so he was very, very involved. He was also nominated for a Tony for Best Leading Actor in a Musical for his role in the original production of Sondheim's Pacific Overtures. So amazing. Another Sondheim boy. Let me tell you, everybody in this era has, like, Sondheim plays in their back pocket. (laughs) Well, of course. Well, of course, he was, like, the biggest playwright of, like, well, I can't say the biggest, but he was a huge musical guy for this time period. It's, It's like, amazing. So for television, he had many roles as a guest star, including several episodes of MASH besides this one. So he's not done, but he's done with, he's done for this character, but... We will see him again. Nice. Very excited. He was also on McHale's Navy, Columbo, The A-Team, and Monk. He did a lot of voice acting work for children's cartoons, including Samurai Jack, Dexter's Laboratory, and he was Master Splinter in the animated movie for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I know that Ethan's going to love this. He voiced Eero in Avatar The Last Airbender for the first two seasons. Mako rules. As soon as I saw his name in the end credits, I was like, <gasps> because I, I love basically all of his major voice work. I love Aku in Samurai Jack. I love Uncle Iroh. Literally everyone with a soul does. Uh, he <laughs> rules. And I'm surprised he didn't mention Conan the Barbarian because he uh, he's a big role in Conan the Barbarian, the... Uh, old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I did come across that in my research, but I mean, I had so much trivia on this man that I was like, I gotta wrap it somewhere. (laughs) But yeah, Mako rules and uh, I love him. I love him so much and it was great to see him and I can't wait to see him again because I love him. Yeah, he was great in this scene and it's really great to know that he had um, that he had such a prolific career after this and was really involved in theater and stuff like that. I, I really I really appreciate being able to research all of these really cool people from this time period. Mm-hmm. So do you have any favorite lines from this episode? I do. There's too many to really name um, to go through all of them. But I really liked in the OR where Hawkeye was getting really angry at Frank for like who he was sending in because he was saying like, oh, well, these people like have cuts on them. Like, I don't need to be operating on these people. So he tells Margaret, he's like, Margaret, like you take care of this patient. I'm going to go basically rag on Frank. And Margaret's like, I'm not sterile. And Hawkeye goes, congratulations, and just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was a great one. I have to shout out, in the beginning of the episode, uh, Father Mulcahy comes into the tent, and he has a little conversation with Hawkeye and Trapper. And then uh, he goes to leave, and Henry comes in at the same time, 
and they bump into each other and Henry's like really angry at first and he's like what the and he realizes it's Father Mulcahy and he immediately cools down and it's like oh I'm sorry father I thought you're a real person beautiful I loved it <laughs> that was great I also really liked the one at the very end where they're at the rainbow bridge and the Chinese soldiers are like, okay, give give us the gun that you have. And Frank is very reluctant to give it up at first. And Hawkeye goes, give it to them, Frank, before they give us a 32 caliber enema. And I was like, that's amazing. I want that on a shirt. <laughs> that was really good. So, Ethan. Yes. Martini rating for this episode. Um. Okay. So this one's kind of hard because the final scene is so good that it kind of like, just on impulse, I want to say five out of five. But I think like the beginning of it could be a little stronger, like a little more balanced with how the episode kind of plays out. Because it does just start like a regular kind of comedy mash episode, but slowly reveals to be more dramatic. So I might have to go like a 4.5. I think it's better than a four, but not quite like the perfect 10 out of 10 one. You know what I'm saying? I have to disagree. I think that (laughs) I know (laughs) I am going to give this one a five out of five. This was definitely a five out of five for me. I was I was very tired watching this episode, but I was immediately like energized to the point of being drunk. Five out of five martinis. When I was watching this episode, this had everything for me. Um, This this is a very Vanessa mash episode. So I, I really liked this one. Yes, uh, I can't believe I went lower than you, especially in an episode like this where it is really, really good. Uh, (laughs) Might have to revise my rating. We'll see. Come back to me in half a year when we're doing uh, recommendations for the end of the season. And I'm like, this was the best episode. (laughs) We'll see where I'm at then. So, just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Virabalgo for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister, for cover art, and of course, our listeners. Thank you so much. Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 3, Episode 3, Officer of the Day. Until then, have some sake and sushimi and some clean sheets. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. <laughs>